Hi everybody, I'm Neil Blackman, the host of the Florida Basketball Hour, and um, today we have a special episode with uh, Neil Shulman, all kinds of weather uh, on Twitter, you know him, and from his website and allkindsofweather.com. Make sure you guys uh, check out Neil's work, and um, we're going to have a conversation about where some of the Mike White uh, critics are coming from and, and just try to lay out some of those arguments because um, I think it's it's a fair way to uh, to the most fair way to have an honest dialogue is to uh, present all sides of an argument and and Neil certainly is a guy that is qualified to uh, present some of the concerns without uh, some of the more incendiary fiery takes that that we sometimes see from angry people um, so uh, sit back and, and enjoy the show. Florida Basketball Hour. I'm Neil Blackman. I'm recording this segment with uh, Neil Shulman, who y'all know uh, is um, in all kinds of weather um, from Twitter, one of the more uh, vocal and, and well-followed uh, Twitter personalities in Gator Nation, uh, very talented writer uh, as well, who uh, has written about all sports um, <laughs> for, for several years and has enjoyed uh, – Lots of championships for several years. So we brought uh, Neil on to the show because I think he's in a, a camp that, that uh, of Gator fans that are, that are more frustrated with, with the current program. And, and I think the most fair thing for, for us to do is, as Florida Basketball Hour is to, to present all perspectives. And it seems the best way to do that would be to present it from, from a voice that I think is a talented voice and can articulate uh, those frustrations in a way that that is compelling and, and persuasive um, and then kind of let you guys decide uh, which side of the debate you fall down on. Um, so welcome, Neil. Thanks for thanks for joining us. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Uh, we've had we've had some good interactions back and forth through the years. Um, for those of you who don't know, you actually wrote for me on an all kinds of for a little bit. Um, we have not always agreed on everything, but I think that's what makes the internet such a great place is that you can disagree with people. And as long as you back yourself with facts and logic, as opposed to just two or three word analysis on something that really isn't analysis. It's just your emotions, <laughs> Bob, coming out and taking over i think that as long as you don't do that there's really not a particular answer or thought process or idea or view that's wrong and i think that you and i have had some very good discussions about different things through the years i'm looking forward to having another one right now awesome so let's uh i mean let's let's dive into it i don't i don't know and i and i don't know like where you are on the on the, like, if it was zero to 10, you know, 0% chance that Florida should make a change at its, at, at the basketball coach position and 10 being, uh, let's make the change tomorrow. And I'm hiring this person. Like, where are you on that pendulum? Well, let's, let's make sure we clarify this. Are we talking should, or do I think will happen? No, I mean, like, I think the only fair way to evaluate it is, is today because, because if we're speculating, you know, well, you know, if this doesn't happen in a year, like that's fair, that's part of the debate today. But do you think a change should be made now? I guess is the question. So 
10 being it should be made right now, I'd say I'm about at a six and a half or seven. Uh, there, there are some names that I've got that I've you know been thinking about. Guys like Mark Few at Gonzaga or uh, Steve Wojcicki at Marquette. We've been trying to get Chris Mack from Louisville. I wish we'd gotten him and Xavier when he had the chance. Billy Donovan left. That was my first choice then, but. There, you know, there's some guys I feel like could be great Gator coaches uh, for more than just three or four years at a time. You know, guys who just have one recruiting class and dominate with that class. When they leave, then things sort of fall apart. Uh, but, you know, all right, so any discussion about White for me has to start with the fact that I like him very much individually. I think he's a great human being. I think the world of him as a basketball mind from a purely X's and O's standpoint. He's young. He's shown the ability to recruit very highly rated guys. And every so often he'll do something that I'll snap my fingers at and go, okay, see right there, that's why Jeremy Foley hired him. That's what he saw in him. That's why he thought he was going to make the Florida Gators basketball program the best it could possibly be. You know, some of the plays he calls at a timeout, some of the defensive switches from man to zone or vice versa, depending on the situations and so on, are objectively good decisions. And they're good decisions regardless of whether or not they actually work or not in that given situation, because the odds are that move that he makes will work the majority of the time. Now, I assume we're going to get into the specifics in a minute, but the synoptic answer to why are so many people out of patience with White, and for me, why am I running out of it with Mike White, is... All indications are that this program has peaked under White and is now headed the wrong direction. At the end of the day, coaches are judged on results. And from the sample size that he has delivered in three and a half years, White just doesn't appear to be able to deliver them at the level that Florida demands. Or at the very least, he has not yet demonstrated to be capable of it in the better part of four years. And Florida isn't really the kind of place where you get an infinite amount of rope to prove yourself. The best he's done was reach the Elite Eight, and that was done via a very favorable draw as a four seed, where the one seed in Villanova got knocked out. And even then, Florida only got to that Elite Eight because of a miracle three from Chris Tioza. So I don't really know if you can credit White for that. And since then, there's been a decline. They've gone from Elite Eight to round of 32 to staring NIT or possibly a losing season right in the face. Yeah, I mean, look, they, they have. Uh... They have a, a very – there's a decent chance that they don't make the NCAA tournament this year, I would say. There's a very good chance that um, that at least at, at present they make the NIT. But there's so much basketball to be played, and, and there's five games coming up where if you look at it and evaluate it objectively, uh, yes, it's five opportunities for, for resume wins. Um, and I think, I think Florida fans would be – and we've talked about this on, on this show. Florida fans would be uh, – a reasonable expectation in that would be that you get two or three resume wins. Three would be better um, starting Saturday at TCU. But but you can't look at one of those games and go, you're going to win that game, um, which is kind of a frightening place to be and an unusual place to be for Florida basketball. But it's sort of where we are. One number we brought up on this show is that Florida's 19 and 18 in its last 37 games against power six opponents. There's a power six in, in, uh, in college hoops as opposed to a power five and Florida is, has lost eight home games under Mike white in the last two years um, after being <laughs> Vanderbilt aside uh, tremendous at home, uh, the first two seasons under Mike white. So I think, um, I think those are two 
very glaring concerns sort of out of the gate uh, that, that are, are pretty understandable and we've talked about. And then um, we've talked about offensive issues, but you wrote an article, I think, that is really interesting because uh, it, it identifies this, this sort of dilemma that Florida's had since Johnny Bunu tore his ACL at Auburn, which is that Florida doesn't have uh, a back-to-the-basket post that they can rely on offensively. So uh, it really frustrates a lot of what Florida wants to do off- on offense. Well, first of all, I got to go back to something you said. You, you mentioned Florida's record against Power 6 opponents being 19 and 18. Uh, we're very lucky for those of us who like white and who are very cognizant of that stat that Loyola Chicago is not one of those power conferences because that makes Florida even look worse. So that's one of the few times we're not including the so-called cupcake games, the gimme wins, whatever you want to call it, the sacrificial camp, whatever. That's one of the very few times that not including them actually helps Florida. So that's <laughs> that's that's something. We can, yeah. we can laugh at that. But more, no, no, I mean, they, they made the final four. But Yeah, but, yeah I mean, but you lost to them on your home floor. Right, they made the <laughs> final four. But if you were to make the NCAA tournament, I know you're not going to do this, but if you were to make the NCAA tournament three out of five, they're not beating Miami in the first round. They might get a game off them. I don't think that anyone would look at those two teams and say, okay, if they were to play 100 times, Loyola Chicago would win the majority of them. They got well, certainly, certainly not Tennessee in round two. Right, no, definitely not. So they made the final four, but they were – I don't think anyone in their right arm would argue that the four best teams in the country. No, 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 no. But on to um, – yeah, so on to the offense um, and defense, really. It's I, – I say this because, again, I like him very much personally, but the, his inability to, to do anything about this has been extremely frustrating. So my biggest issue with him is the complete and utter lack of an inside presence on either side of the floor. Now, in White's three – full recruiting classes, which does not count the transitional class. He took over from Billy Donovan. He signed a grand total of one, count of one, real center. Now, you got some guys who can play physical four-slash-five hybrid roles, but I'm talking about a true center. That guy's Gorjak Gak, and he's not going to play this year. So that leaves Florida with Kivarius Hayes as the only bona fide center on this entire roster. And he is, for lack of a better word, limited. Now, when he gets in foul trouble or when he gets caught out of position, when he gets boxed out, et cetera, it's not really on White because White can't just ESP himself into Kavarius Hayes' potty and play the game for him. But it kind of is because if your initial response is, well, White can't play the game for him, mm, well, there's no one else who can. And whose fault is that? So that leads to a team that really has – no reliable method of getting the ball in the basket. And that's because White's had three full recruiting cycles worth of opportunities to get someone better than Hayes, and he hasn't done it. Without that, how does Florida score? How can you sit down and tell me that Florida is guaranteed to score X amount of points in a given night? Now, you're going to have hot shooting nights, and you're going to have nights where the opponent turns the ball over a ton of times, but those aren't reliable forms of success. So, Again, that, that just puts Florida in a catch-22 situation that's really, it appears, unwinnable. Well, I think, I think one, one thing you've identified is, is the, the replacement issue. Um, and I think, I think there's a lot of – that's an important – I thought what was interesting about, about the piece you wrote is, is that it does sort of identify that that problem starts and ends 
almost with, well, it doesn't end with recruiting. It starts with recruiting. It continues with development. Now we can get into that a little bit um, in terms of, of what the Alpinkins hire means as a, as sort of a recognition by white that that had to be corrected. But, but, you know, the, I think the second recruiting class that white signed is the genesis of this problem. Um, and people might not like to hear that because, you know, the, the first recruiting class was hard for two reasons. One, um, Billy Donovan quit in May. So he quit really, he, he really put white two months behind, uh, which was compared to the entire country. I mean, he was the last hire. Uh, so that's, that's kind of difficult. And obviously they were able to maintain Kayvon Allen, uh, which was very good, but they lost Noah Dickerson and John Mooney, who were, uh, two guys that were, you know, really highly, uh, highly thought of and are both dominant players now. Um, and I don't think anybody blames white for that. Those guys wanted to play for Billy. Uh, and that's just kind of how that worked out. But the second class, you're right. They signed Gorjak Gek. Uh, but that, that class is kind of a lost class. I mean, other than what we've seen from Dante Bassett and SEC play, isn't it? More or less. Uh, I mean, and I like the problem is he can't flash upside 2% of the time you're on the floor. <laughs> yeah. Well, and 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 you're in a he's in a position where where he hasn't uh you know, he hasn't really demonstrated any of that from a from a just if you look at the metrics on Bassett, SEC play is really the first extended period of time. And I say extended and there are only six games in the conference play, but this is the best five game, five, six game stretch he's had in his career. Well like that's not a good sign. No, it's <laughs> It's not, but you could you could end your analysis with that. That's not a good sign sentence with a lot of different players. I mean, you look at someone like Isaiah Stokes. He's again, it's a similar situation. Like he's capable of being a dominant inside presence. I think because he he has had individual plays where he has dominated on the inside, and then there are other plays where he looks lost, and that yeah. is on the floor, which is another issue. But. I mean, again, that, that, that's just such – and that's why it all comes back to Mike White because this is such a common problem with so many different players through the years. I mean, you have guys like Casey Hill, five-star recruit, McDonald's All-American. Florida doesn't really get too many of those. They like to get the guys that are like three or four stars and then develop them into three- or four-year players. But they got a five-star recruit in Casey Hill, which is an absolute astonishment for most people who follow college basketball. Didn't pan out. Now, some of that's on Billy Donovan, but – some of that was on Mike White because he had two years to develop him, and he was a guard. So, and on my, the guard position is the one that Mike White has the back. So, when you have all these players at different positions who don't ultimately pan out, there, there's a pattern, there's a common denominator. You got to ask yourself, at what point do you think, well, he can recruit these guys for 20 years, he can recruit top 10 classes for 25 years, and we're going to see improvement. You just don't know. Well, I think, and, and this is where, and, and you know, obviously, obviously Neil and I differ on some of this. Like, I feel like, I feel like there are market examples of players that have developed and gotten better under white and the staff. And I, and I, and I, I include the staff because I think when, when Mike evaluates the program in the off season, um, assuming Scott Strickland doesn't do something surprising and, and, and make a change immediately as opposed to, to waiting, you know, 12 months and kind of seeing where things are. Um, you know, I think, 
I think Florida can point at players that have certainly gotten better, but I would argue that those players almost exclusively are backcourt players or uh, obviously in the case, the most obvious case of, of Devin Robinson, uh, a wing. And, and, you know, Robinson's improvement is, you know, it's not Mike White's fault that Devin went to the NBA a year too early. I mean, if you look at statistics, this is a player that improved astronomically uh, offensively and certainly on the defensive end of the basketball as a junior and, and decided to make the leap after the team went to the Elite Eight. But, but, but there's not a four that got, that's gotten better uh, until – and that's probably why they went and hired a guy like Al Pinkins. But I think Florida is in a, is in a spot now where the recruiting misses from the second class are problematic – and they're going to have to rely on, you know, a freshman in the front court next year, if we're being honest, in Omar Payne and probably uh, whoever they bring in to replace Chase Johnson, which absolutely has to be a big. Right. Well, two things. One, uh, yes, there have been players under Mike White who have gotten better from the time they arrived in Gainesville or in some cases from the time that he took over the program to the time where their careers ended. I do think that that's the exception, not the rule. I think that there's a greater quantity of players that have either regressed, like Kayvon Allen, or plateaued. So, again, I don't really know if that's something I can totally attribute to. Now, again, Devin Robinson, absolutely. No doubt. Night and day improvement from when he first came to campus versus when he left. But, again, that is something that a lot of people are pointing to as an issue with him, and there is definitely some to it. Second, I'm still left with the issue with Mike White that it took him three years to hire a coach specifically for big men. He's it, it, it gets the feeling that he's sort of still feeling his way around, and, and it took him three years to figure out that that might be a good idea. So there might be something else that festers in a year or two. Um, I mean, it, for, it could be the lack of front court. It could be the lack of guys who can dominate the paint. Maybe, say, Omar Payne gets hurt. Or, sorry, maybe Gorjak Gak gets hurt. Maybe Omar Payne takes a year or two to develop, and next year Florida is in the exact same position it's in this year, where it doesn't have an interior presence. And maybe he doesn't think to, you know, this is an immediate problem that needs an immediate fix. So maybe I should go out and get someone to replace him right now. Maybe I should go on the resale market with John and Bruno. It feels like on some different things, he is a little slow, or at least too slow to react to the problem before it gets to be too late and the wine's cost it. So that's not a common theme I'm seeing with him. So I think this is an area where I'm sympathetic to, to the arguments that you're making a little more than his development arguments. Um, and, and I think, you know, like I, I think it was pretty evident from from the middle of last season forward that Florida hadn't developed anybody really in the front court. And that when Johnny Bunu, when it became clear, Johnny Bunu wasn't returning and a team that was thought of as a potential final four team kind of had a ceiling of the sweet 16, which they didn't hit. Uh, I think, I think it was, it was obvious that some sort of change needed to be needed to be made in that regard. But I think when you look at staff, the sort of construction of the staff, uh, even with Dusty May, you had a pretty guard-heavy staff. 
uh, and you had a staff that has a history of developing guards back at Louisiana Tech and, and where else these guys have been assistants. So it seems like, yeah, I mean, you could argue certainly that, that he was tardy to that adjustment. And now the question I have that I think is a fair one is Mike White's offense is from an efficiency standpoint, just the Ken Palm metrics improved every season until when now. So if you look at it from an efficiency standpoint, their best offense was actually the elite eight team, but they still were rather efficient offensively last season, even though a lot of it was Chris Chioza in isolation situations, just making plays. Uh, and then now you're, you're back in the eighties, which is where he was year one. So what do you do as a staff to, to, to sort of evaluate that? Is it personnel? I.e., does Trey Mann, who's an incredible scorer, kind of fix a lot of that? Or uh, is it something that you do schematically a little bit different or, or both? And I think that the answer probably has to be all of the above. Well, it definitely, there's definitely some elements of both to that. But I think the long-term situation, the long-term answer to the situation is recruiting. But as we know from football, you can't fix everything with recruiting overnight. You have to adapt to the personnel that you've got and coach that up recruit yourself some nice talent that fits what you want to do in the meantime, definitely don't just forget about it, but it can wait a little bit. I think the first thing that White's got to do is decide this team's offensive philosophy. Like what, for lack of a better way to put it, what does he want to do? What does this offense attempt to do every time the ball up? Now, I mean, there's that he is going to try to make this team more of a dribble drive team down the, down the stretch the rest of the season. I think that's what he, he personally likes to do more. Um, I think he likes to run fewer sets and more or less just let the guys play and not get in their face every time they bring it up. But with this group of players, I don't think that's going to work. A, because of the lack of front court depth. And B, because these guys are not very trustworthy with the ball hands. They're... I think 125th in the country shooting threes. They're far lower in free throw percentage. So when they drive the lane and get fouled, can't start not to make the free throws. Yeah. So it gets a little tricky there. I think if you can establish an identity for this team that works, that they get familiar with, I think you can have a chance to be able to fight through it with that. Yeah, no, I mean, look, Florida's not a good – this this team personnel wise uh, is not a great driving team, and that's a problem when you want to dribble drive. Now White has said pretty consistently that that they want to have uh, a dribble drive and they want to be able to score out of a motion offense that that kind of uh, feeds off that dribble drive. The, the problem is that with this personnel group, especially especially with with uh, Jalen Hudson. <laughs> going AWOL uh, after being an all-SEC guard in the, in the preseason and, and playing like one last year, um, you pretty much removed your best dribble drive player um, from your rotation. Uh, you know, I mean, Hudson has, has been unplayable at times this season and barely playable at others at best. Uh, so, so, yeah, I mean, I think you're, you're absolutely right. And, and as a result, you know, good dribble drive teams have high free throw percentages. Look at Kentucky, right? Uh, look at yeah. look at other teams that run this offense. And the idea is to put pressure on the defense um, and 
and get to the foul line quite frequently. And eventually you can, you can get people collapsing on the drivers and that's when you open up your big three point shots. So you talk about shot selection a lot. Um, you know, the idea of the dribble drive is to put strain on a defense and make shot selection easier. Now, Florida has answers to that coming in next season, but there's still half a season to play here and not really a lot of answers on the roster this season. So, yes, White has said, we're running a lot more sets than I want to run. Um, and, you know, sometimes, sometimes Florida has nights where they hit shots and out of those sets, and other times not so much. Uh, but, but I think it's something that Florida has to evaluate identity-wise uh, as they move forward. Well, I think that, and I'll say this too, if they do, they still have a chance to make something special of the season. Now, what, what this team has done so far is not exactly that encouraging to think that, but it's possible because like I've said, I do think very highly of Mike White's pure intelligence. If we're just talking from a schematic standpoint, but that actually leads me to another issue I have with White and that's, in-game coaching. Now, he's, he's done some individual things that I think have been beyond praiseworthy. I mean, the play against Georgia, where he has Allen run all the way around the court and free himself up for a three, was very well designed. He called a very good play at the end of the game against Texas Tech last year, and that season-ending loss. Now, it didn't work because it didn't go in, but it was a well-designed play. But there are other issues that he has. There are other in-game situations that I don't know if he knows how to deal with, like the loss to Georgia at home last year, where Florida's up seven with minute 40 to go, and the defense decides to leave Deontay Mayton open not once but twice for wide-open threes. He makes them both. We go to overtime, and we lose. Why White didn't either defend the three or double against Deontay Mayton or do anything that indicates he understands the situation and try to defend against the one real thing that's going to beat Florida in that situation is beyond me. And then there's the Vandy loss last year in Nashville. Chris Gios is not having a good game, so let's run an ice up for him with two minutes to go in the game after Vanderbilt's come back from 12 down. And Florida loses that game. Let's run an ISO for Jalen Hudson on the very next possession. That doesn't work. I mean, so, some of these things that he does in game, in the moment, don't feel like he really has a handle on it. Like it feels either like the moment's too big for him and he tries to get too cute or too creative or whatever, or he just doesn't know what he's doing. And neither answer is particularly settling. And they both sound quite harsh. But if you watch, you know, if you go back on YouTube or wherever those games exist somewhere and you watch the end of those games, you'll think, well, I can't really disagree with that. And I don't think you can either. I think you've agreed with me on that in the past. Yeah, I, I think Florida. I think Florida struggles to to finish games in ways that make it a trend. Um, and I think a lot. That's enough. Do it, yes. Yeah, and I think a lot of that. I think a lot of that is is absolutely on the coaching staff. Now, um, I have taken players to task in situations where I thought Florida did the right thing, coaching wise. Um, that. This is an important point because people that are listening, you know, have to understand when, when I make criticisms of white or defenses of white and the staff, you know, and, and Neil too, but we're not saying like universally, this is bad. I'm not saying like 
all the time, what White does is correct. Uh, those, those are pretty – my, my defenses are often isolated, and sometimes you know, it doesn't mean that other criticisms aren't accurate. So uh, one I thought was in the Mississippi State game um, – I'll get to the South Carolina game in a second, but the two that come to mind – the, the two that come to mind this year where, where I didn't blame uh, Coach as opposed to Tennessee, which, which I put – and on Twitter pretty much put him on blast – uh, more than usual for me, <laughs> was was at Mississippi State. Florida ran a flex cut with Kayvon Allen and got the switch they wanted, where it was Kayvon Allen with the ball against a big, slow center. And Allen, who we all want to shoot and be aggressive, decided that this was the one time he was going to be passive. Now, to Kayvon's credit, he's been extremely aggressive and wonderful since. But – when Florida runs the set that they want and gets the matchup they want and the player doesn't attack the matchup, that's a problem. Now, uh, what happened with Quindary Weatherspoon in terms of, of that situation looked like a miscommunication defensively to me. That's the kind of stuff coaches have to prevent out of timeouts and they prevent it at practice. So it's kind of a 50-50. South Carolina, uh, entirely different situation because that's one where um, – I don't think multiple individuals, including uh, two coaches and, and anyone that I've talked to in the program, basically say someone was supposed to guard the inbound pass. No one went to guard the inbound pass. That was air one. Uh, the last thing they were told was you guard the inbound and somebody stay behind and to play free safety. There was no free safety. So that's just players not listening. Um, and, you know, sometimes that kind of crap happens. Uh but but with Florida, the problem is when you're three and eleven in, in your last fourteen games decided by five points or less, it's trend worthy, right? Uh, and and that's that's not good. No, well, I mean, again, one it happens once, all right, it's a fluke, and you can just move on. If it happens twice in a relatively short period of time, you can say, all right, you gotta correct this. And generally speaking, the objectively fair thing to do is trust the coach and he'll get it done. But if it happens multiple times again and again and again, and there's consistently players out of position and there's frequently guys not listening, that's where, like you said, it becomes trendworthy. And that's where I put the blame on the coaching staff, because if it's happening to this frequent of an extent, it's program D it's not just a couple of guys. I mean, we, we saw Case Hill do some kind of stupid things, to be quite blunt. He did some things that were less than intelligent and more than frightening. And when you <laughs> see guys like Kivarius Hayes in the wrong position or, you know, you know, you see someone not guarding the inbounds pass, well, these are different players making boneheaded mistakes. But it's such a pattern that you got to wonder, well, why is it Mike White recruiting smarter players? And that – again is why it falls on white if these are his players now so what do you i'm curious to think like i think the the most objective take that one could have outside the program and it's been the take of of the outside the program guests we've had and i thought well this is probably a great question to throw to neil then what's your i mean what's your what's your view on the freshman class because it seems like if if you had one sunshine take about this about this season it's that wow these freshmen are pretty good 
You're talking about the class with Nemhard? Yeah. Nem- Locke of the talk went N- next year. Okay. Nemhard, Locke, so, and Keontae. So I think that, again, that they have the potential to be phenomenal. But we're in year four now, and we can't be talking about potential and could someday be great. No, year four, you got to be off and running. And I'm not, I'm not advocating fire Mike White tomorrow. No, that's not going to happen. A, B, a little too much. Um, but we're at the point now where the freshman class of 2017 has to start stepping up and doing stuff. Now, could Locke and Nemhard become 25-point-a-game scorers in two years? Sure, but we're not Kentucky or Duke. We don't just take guys off the street out of their high school gyms and turn them into All-Americans in a year. So I think that their potential could be uh, something akin to Michael Frazier-esque as a freshman, at least, what we thought his potential could be. I think especially Nemhard can be something of an All-SEC, All-American caliber player in two years or so, but he's very raw, and he's going to need time to develop. And right now, I'm not so certain that time is something that Mike White has an unlimited quantity of. So I would say that that Florida, in terms of of roster balance with with a guy like Keontae Johnson probably has another guy who has an NBA upside and certainly has an all SEC. I mean, the guy screams. He looks like Admiral Schofield if he were more athletic as a freshman. Um, So then I think you're you're in a position where you got a guy that's already stuffing a stat sheet. Um, And I thought probably should have started sooner uh, than than Florida's coaches decided to stop him. But I understand why they stuck with Jalen Hudson as long as they did just to try to get him going. Um, even though I, I wouldn't have gone that far, but that's a, that's a whole different rabbit hole. Uh, yeah. I mean, look, the, the issue with Florida is I think overall the largest issue is roster balance. Um, and it's something that has to be addressed. And the other issue I think is, and this is one of those, everything's on the table, the great programs and Florida is a great program. Uh, and, and, I think the reason that some of the white criticism is, is healthy as opposed to toxic, which a lot of people have characterized it, uh, is that Florida is a great program. And the idea is to keep it a great program. Um, and certainly when you win 80 games and in your first three and a half seasons and you win four NCAA tournament games and, and uh, you're probably a Dwayne Notice travel call from at least having another chance for a Chris Chioza shot to go to the final four. Uh, you know, a lot of that's good, but the, the concern that I think Florida fans should have is does Florida kind of evaluate the program in the off season and say, Hey, here's a guy we need to bring in for Chase Johnson to help our front court depth, whether it's a grad transfer or a Juco, but it probably should be an older player. Uh, and then, you know, what else gets evaluated? Why is Isaiah Stokes out of shape? Why, uh, you know, you're not going to tell me you, you'll never sell me. It's Preston Green because I saw Casey Prather will you get and Pat Young and Scotty Wilby can go from. Well, Pat Young was never skinny, but you get the point I'm making. <laughs> they got bigger. <laughs> they sculpt their bodies get sculpted. Noah Locke looks way better in three months with Preston Green. So it's not him. But is it nutrition? Is it is it just want to? Is it just Isaiah? They give him everything that, you know, he's got a chef. He has every uh, capability of making a choice and doesn't 
He just doesn't care. And if, if, if a kid doesn't care and he's not invested, then you process him. I mean, uh, I think, you know, elite programs lose transfers quite often because those are kids that aren't going to hack it. Florida's had one uh, that, that's left in the white era. Um, and I think they kind of knew that they were lost in the guard shuffle. But uh, that, that's something that Florida has to evaluate because the reality is if, you, if Gorjak Gak transfers, for example, because he, he's out of shape, he can't get better from the microfractures, whatever, uh, you know, maybe, maybe he leaves, maybe Stokes leaves, you're opening up roster spots where you can go and address the problems that you have uh, on the resale market, which, you know, it's not just John Igbunu. I mean, Billy Donovan had a ton of success with those players from, from Vernon Macklin and, and, and others that I'm probably forgetting. Well, I think the resale market has to be the first thing he looks to because like, I think both of us have sort of said recruiting takes a while to take shape at a place like Florida, not like Kentucky or UNC or Kansas where they just come in and they're stars right away. So the, the issues that Florida and white are attempting to fix via recruiting high school guys are going to potentially be great solutions in two, three years, but that's not going to help next year. Florida needs to go get a big guy, preferably a true center, not just an aggressive three or four guy, but a real five who could complement or be better than or John Gack and Omar Payne, by the way, I think very highly of Omar Payne's potential, but again, he's not going to be able to come in and dominate right away. He's raw. So I think that Mike White is going to get another year regardless. I don't think Florida is going to do anything this year on the court that could get Mike White to lose his job. I don't think if they literally lost every single game, maybe anything short of that, no. So he's going to get that opportunity (laughs) to do that. Um, But I I think this is something that you point to very frequently – the Billy Donovan sort of self-evaluation moment in that locker room in Charlotte after the Gators lost to Manhattan in the NCAA tournament in 2004, where he just sat down and took a look at everything, made some changes. Three years later, Florida's got back-to-back national championships. So that's certainly possible with White. But again, I'm wondering if he can do it. I, I hate to keep circling around and coming back and saying that exact same thing, but I'm wondering if giving him time to make this sort of self-evaluation is going to ultimately pay off. So, and, and I mean, like, I think one of the reasons I don't disparage these, I mean, your takes are, are uh, reasonable and I think well, well-researched and, and, you know, um, I'm not going to respond to every hot take and I don't think you're, you're offering those. You're, you're offering what are level-headed criticisms and it's part of the reason I think it's important to get on the show and, and, you know, all I'd say to this is uh, I think to some extent that started by bringing in somebody as, as respected as Al Pankins. The question I have is, you know, regardless of how many, let's not make it about excuses. Let's not say, well, last year's team probably makes the final four or the elite eight again, or at least the sweet 16. If John Boone is healthy, that might be true. But none of that stuff is relevant anymore. It's about what the future is, right? It, Florida, Florida was winning every game. The last five games Florida played with John Igbunu, 
the year they made the Elite Eight, they won by an average of 21 points. They were just running people out of gyms. Um, and then they found a way to get to the Elite Eight anyway because Chioza hit a great shot, and Justin Leon led an NCAA regional in rebounding it, all six foot six of him. Uh, and by the way, they beat Tony Bennett in Virginia by 26 in the second round in what I thought was White's masterpiece to date. Uh, but <laughs> just from a game plan and then the ACC champion, you, when you beat them that bad, that's, that's pretty good. Uh, but, but, you know, none of that stuff. Oh, well, I had injuries. Oh, well, a big piece of my dribble drive, Chase Johnson, uh, got multiple concussions. He was my best recruit in my first three years at school or two years at school. He was the centerpiece of my second class. And now he had to transfer because, because he couldn't get on the floor. Um, you know, none of that stuff is productive. The question is, what do you do to fix the problems that are obviously present now? What do you do to improve an offense that's 85th in the country? Uh, what do you do to make sure that while you're focusing on improving your offense, you don't drop off defensively? Because if anything has been true, uh, it's that Florida, at least from a metrics perspective, has been elite defensively. But what do you do to make sure your elite defense is elite for 40 minutes and not 36? So, <laughs> You know, we get we get into these discussions. Or shuts up, period, like against Texas. A&M. Yeah, or just decide to take a whole half off against a terrible basketball team, right? Uh, like we saw the other night. Which brings me to this: Do you think? Because one one criticism I've heard from people in the arena, and and I coach basketball, so I kind of get that it's just maybe not Mike's personality, and I'm a little more forgiving of that. But you also were a college athlete. I mean, White said he he lost his temper in the locker room. Um, and then Florida just came out and lit the world on fire. Maybe the team responds to that more than they respond to calm Mike. Well, maybe, um, I, I, <coughs> I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't tend to put too much stock into that one way or another, because if you're a division athlete, <laughs> you need to be able to motivate yourself and yeah. not rely on your coach cursing you out to be able to do it. <laughs> right. Um, but, uh, Maybe maybe he does need to be a little tougher on them. Maybe that's what's going to work for this group. Like I said, you can fix that with recruiting. You can bring in guys who are self-motivated and don't need you to scream at them. But maybe if that's what works for the team, sure, throw chairs, curse them out. By all means, man, win games. Don't do anything illegal, but short of that, whatever you got to do, do it. Yeah, and I mean, Noah Locke seems like the first guy that they've had in a couple years, as weird as that is to say that kind of is that like kid plays with a little bit of an edge. Um, it's not just like, I thought he was going to be just a catch and shoot guy. And like, no man, that guy's like a slap the floor. Let's play defense. You know? Which I love by the way. And that's a white recruit. So I'll be fair. Like I always am. I got to give him credit. <laughs> a baller. Yeah. So, I mean the yeah. guys, he's, he's a dog, you know, and that's the thing. And if you watch a great team, Tennessee's a great team. And we, we all, know our feelings about Tennessee but it's a great basketball team and I mean look at the way they compete like they compete so hard it it makes people pissed off that that don't like them and like that's what the great Florida teams that the one that was 21 and 0 in SEC play and and had the misfortune of playing Shabazz Napier twice right um (laughs) I mean people hated them because like every time something you thought you had them like Scotty Wilbekin would make a basket or 
You get would pull down a rebound. He thought he had no chance of getting. Right, right. You know, Pat Young would would come from five feet and swat you. Yeah, and you know, the bench in Knoxville and grab the ball. Right. I mean, like they're losing by ten in the last three minutes of the final four, and he's he's diving on. You get the point. Um, You know, you look at this Florida team, and you're kind of like, who's that dude? Now, I admire Kayvon Allen and the way he's competed the last month, but but yeah, I mean, you're not seeing a lot of that until. Uh, and, and, you know, we all know Kavarius Hayes has a lot of heart. Uh, and we'd love right. him if, if we had a real post, right? <laughs> well, I mean, again, the kid balls. It's just a matter of not executing. He tries, certainly. But well, and he's a guy that if – the way I put it with Kavarius is if he were the seventh man, we'd love him. Oh, sure. Un- Unconditionally. Right. Un- right. Unconditionally, we'd be like, that guy's awesome. Motor guy. Comes in, plays his ass off for four minutes, and then sits back down. But that's not the roster that Mike White's constructed. No, and <laughs> without, with, at the risk, of, I, I won't. I won't go back there again. But I'll I'll use one sentence to say it. Um, that's his fault because that's his team because those are his recruits, all of them. But as you said, let's be more constructive and move forward and think about what this team can do, and. Uh, I guess locking them hard as, as freshmen, uh, granted one more than the other, but the two of them can sort of bring a new energy to the program as like a new wave of basketball. Um, granted, the style of basketball that I think White likes to play is not the style that that's, fits this personnel, but I think motivation is a part of it, and it can start with that. I mean, being motivated – can lead to players listening and defending the inbounds pass and boxing out and running some good offense and taking smart shots and so on and so on. So there's certainly a starting point you can point to with young guys of a new type of energy like that that can lead to great things down the road. I, again, I don't know if this team has it in them, but you got to start somewhere, right? Yeah, I mean, and look, I mean, that's, that's what I think made the Tennessee loss this season the most frustrating was because you're in this one-possession game and you've played a terrific basketball game uh, for 39 minutes or 38 and a half minutes, and your coach has taken out your best senior um, <laughs> for no real reason other than he didn't box out. Uh, on Which is a valid reason, but it, but it, it is, not, it is maybe not in this circumstance. Maybe not in that moment, right? Maybe not. Maybe that's not. Maybe playing a top five team at home in a one possession game with right. your best score is not the best time to teach a cultural lesson. And this is me defending White, by the way. This is <laughs> coming go go on the other side of the. I know the, thing. the the tables are are turned here. I know, um, and, and so like that's what that's what irritated me because look, if Florida loses that game. 72 to 70 or 74 70 and it's because Kayvon misses a jump shot you know people it was interesting when the season ended last year Florida had three good looks uh two pretty well designed or at least one really well designed play and then a hustle play and another look to win that game and it was functionally a road game and they had done it to themselves um by not showing up at the SEC tournament uh but but you know, I don't think anybody was dissatisfied with the way Florida played in the second round against Texas Tech. It was a great basketball game. Florida lost. You can deal with that. What you can't deal with is 
when you blow a 14-point lead at home to a mediocre South Carolina team. Right. And I, I will say, no, you can't be disappointed with the way that they played against Texas Tech. But the major caveat to that is Florida's season ended where the sample size it provided for you in the regular season indicated that it should objectively end. That Florida team over the course of the first 32 games of the year, up to and including the SEC tournament disaster against Arkansas, looked like a team that belonged in the round of 32 and no further. So that's the first thing. Second, South Carolina... Well... <laughs> I, don't, I don't know where to start. Florida They're 5-1 in the SEC. Right, but Florida <laughs> shouldn't be losing on its home floor to them. No, they shouldn't. And, and especially when they have a 14-point lead. Twice. And to Tennessee... And six times last year, to, you know, and Loyola Chicago, and to Alabama, and FSU, and to Georgia. Yeah, eight home, that, eight home. They lose at home too much. I think it's, right. And I that, think that's granted. That's more of an emotional response than an X's and O's one, but it is important. You can't just forget about it because it's part of the resume that you build to get to the NCAA tournament, which is part yeah. of the goal. Yeah, and it's even more vital in, in the league that the SEC has kind of evolved into, um, which is right a really good basketball league where more institutions are placing <clears throat> an emphasis on, on playing competitive basketball. So, so let me ask you this, because I want to wrap up, you know, before I, I, we beat anything to death. Um, you know, I think Florida's next stretch of, of eight or nine games is the toughest stretch they have of the season um, from now until about February 20th. If you look at the schedule, you see a home game against a Vanderbilt team that's winless in the SEC, and you said they, they should win that game. The other eight games are kind of, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> they could win. They could lose. I mean, what, what do you want to see? from Florida is it is it not about record and and more about execution or is it you know they should go through this stretch and go five and four because if they do that they're going to make the NCAA tournament which is probably true I mean where are you at on that well I think the first thing is I want to see a Florida team that wants to do offensively I want to see a Florida team if Mike White feels is going to be best suited to run sets run sets and execute them I want to see a Florida team that boxes out. I want to see a Florida team that doesn't take 30 minutes of games off defensively. Um, wins and losses-wise, I mean, Florida could very well lose each of its next five games. I, I wouldn't bet money on it, but, I mean, TCU, this, Kentucky, Auburn, and Tennessee are all going to the NCAA tournament. Florida is hanging on the fringe of that, and as we've discussed in great detail, Florida does not – win a lot of games on its floor. So you could be looking at 0-5 there. I think Florida realistically can finish with about 16 wins. They go 5 Steal a game over at TCU on the road, maybe, or Auburn sort of falling apart, maybe them, maybe Kentucky. Um, and then you got to beat Vanderbilt and then play LSU twice. You guys get at least one of those. Missouri and Alabama, you got to get at least one of those, and you got to beat Georgia again on your home floor. So you, you could see five wins there, but more importantly, I think the season is sort of spiraling out of control. 
especially with the way that we saw the defense just not show up, which is a bad sign against this now 7-10 and 10 team. Yeah. So with that in mind, I'm not really thinking NCAA tournament. I'm thinking this is not a good basketball team. We need to see improvements before we can start to really think about what a good final record would be. Right, right. And, and I mean, I think, I think you'll know what – and I guess that's kind of why I've been circling this stretch. It's an eight-game stretch now. Um, I had circled a ten-game stretch and said they better win the first two. Well, they did. And then you have these eight games where it's literally seven resume win opportunities and Vanderbilt in the middle who they have struggled against. Well, don't knock them because they almost beat Tennessee. Well, that's what I was going to say, who they they have struggled against mightily under Mike White. I mean, that's the – I mean, Florida's going to the Big 12 SEC Challenge. White is 3-0 in those with two wins over ranked teams, two quadrant one wins, and a chance to get another quadrant one win Saturday. And Florida's program is 4-1 in that contest. Their only loss – was Billy's last team, which lost by like five points at Fog Allen. So you lose at Kansas, like, okay. And they had that game too. They were winning from No, they led for 30 minutes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That 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 was the epitome that season. But, well. Yeah, that game game was kind of the turning point of that season. I think that team just kind of. I don't know what the hell happened after that, but they just said good night. Yeah, they had over. they had a they had a swagger and whatever they put on film the last fifteen minutes of that game was was exploited uh, thoroughly. Um, but but yeah, I mean, so this has been a, this challenge has been good for Florida. Kind of feels like you know a chance for Florida to come out and and grab a game and build the type of confidence that they'll need with two huge home games coming up next week, uh, Ole Miss and then, and then Kentucky, which uh, this is a really good Kentucky team. But, but that's good. I, I like the, I liked it. I think your answer is about what my answer is, believe it or not, <laughs> which is I just want to see them improve the way that they execute. And I think if you do that kind of stuff, you know, wins and losses sometimes take care of themselves. Well, you, you have the opportunity to then worry about it, or not worry about, but, but then to think about them realistically if you do that. Right now, Florida should not be worried about the NCAA tournament. They should be worried about we're a bad basketball team and we've got to improve and fail because the competition is going to improve. We're going to take a step up from Georgia and Texas A&M, two of the worst teams in the conference, to a very good TCU team, and then four of the best teams in the conference. So the competition is going to step up. Let's see if right. we can too. Yep. No, well said. So, uh, Neil, thanks for uh, joining us. We'll have to have you uh, back again. And and um, everybody, you guys know where to find him on Twitter, but I'll, I'll let him I'll let him tell you about that and and uh, whatever else uh, he wants to tell you to go look at, because because uh, we, we certainly appreciate his time. Yeah, well, thank you very much for having me on. It's an honor um, to collaborate with another Neil. Um, yeah so you can find me on twitter at all kinds weather um just just think about it as in all kinds of weather the popular slogan but without the in and without the of in it because twitter did not let me create a username with that many characters in it so just all kinds weather on twitter um and in all kinds weather.com you can read our thoughts on the internet in a greater capacity than just Twitter, too. So, look forward to interacting with some of you guys on those respective platforms, and 
Neil, you know, we have a podcast too, so you're more than welcome to come on and uh, give a sort of return of the home and home series you've got here. And yeah, we'll do it. Concerns there. Yeah, we'll do it. We'll talk about. Uh, we'll talk about. You know, how. Uh, do you remember Fire Sully Twitter? We can start there. That was fi- fun times. Nice. Fire, Fire Sully Twitter a few years ago. Whoever advocated for firing Kevin? O'Connor? Oh my God! Go to go to Twitter. It's so fun to pull up those tweets. Like you just go through them and like favorite them one night. It's great stuff. I'll I'll do oh, yeah. that. I'll I'll retweet them. But the last all right. The last <laughs> thing I want to say is. Uh, for those of you who think that I or anybody else are jumping the gun a little bit on getting impatient with Mike White, there is a gigantic distinction between Mike White and Kevin O'Sullivan. Oh yeah, no, no I'm not, not. Oh, I'm not making that. Comparison. I know you're not. I know you're not. <laughs> I'd never insinuated that you were, but there are some individuals out there who are. So let's just clear that up now before anyone else gets the wrong idea. I don't think anyone will, but just covering my bases here. But Mike, Mike did sign a Sullivan-esque recruiting class with two McDonald's All-Americans. We found out today, Trey Mann and Scotty Lewis. Good for those guys. We'll be heading to the uh, McDonald's All-American games. Scotty Lewis is a is a bit of a, a program changing type player, um, but but well you know he's also a, yet another wing. So we'll we'll wait on Mike to make his front court adjustments and and uh, hope that everybody enjoyed the show.